Political with John D. Clare was the best politics radio show in the Northeast. Right-wing trolls tried to bully the show out of existence. Socialist Think Tank is here to bring the show back to where it belongs. Enjoy Political Unmuted. Welcome everybody to yet another edition of Political Unmuted. This is the eighth edition um, as we've got the show going again. You are so welcome and uh, welcome to the team, the, the team of uh, political experts who um, week on week um, give us the benefit of their insights and their knowledge. Um, Welcome to Samantha Townsend. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Stuart Sutherland. How are you doing? And welcome to Paul Daly. Oh. I must say, um, welcome to Laura Lee Daly. This Hello. Well. Hello. It's so good to see you back. You are standing in for our guest of honor. Fabulous. <laughs> but, um, uh, our guest of honour was Charlotte Austin, who was yes. on the uh, National Policy Forum. Uh, but she had an important job interview um, yes. to do. Even I couldn't tell her she ought to turn up for this programme instead of doing that. No, so, so sadly, you lumbered with me, I'm afraid. No lumbering, <laughs> no lumbering. It's so wonderful. Sort of, um, uh, and, and please remember the thing you just... Um, put your hand up like that, the fingers appear over the bottom, and whoever's talking has to shut up and let you speak. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> there you go. Welcome, welcome. It's so good to see you. Um, are we, do we know who you are? Would you just like to introduce yourself for listeners who might not know you? Oh, yes. Um, Laura Daly, Campaigns Coordinator for Sedgefield Constituency Labour Party. Um, I am also the founder and co-worker with Samantha, lovely Samantha there, with um, the Women's Banner Group, and a Pause. I should also mention that um that fella there. You see that side of that side? He's my husband, <laughs> and it's sitting in that room over there. <laughs> you were pointing at Stuart then. I, I, oh, I was there. Uh, Sorry, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> I think we mean Paul. Uh, that's, that's yes. Absolutely smashing. Um, he's so lovely to see. You. I hope that you become a regular. Um, before we can move on, um, we've we've established a kind of a, a kind of an extra time, haven't we? It's sort of um big brother's little brother kind of thing after the show. Paul, would you like to, uh, people have a chance to uh, join us and, and, and speak with us. Paul, would you like to explain how that works? So um, anyone who asks a question on the show, on the Socialist Think Tank feed, so beneath the video on Socialist Think Tank, they can um, also, if they want to, say, can I come on and ask that question and we'll bring that person on. And uh, we're not looking for comments that will fluff us up. We're not looking for anything like that. We're just trying to get some audience participation. So if someone has a good question, wants to come on to the show after we finish the normal part of the show, when we have Joe Solo, we'll just send out the link to that person for the Zoom meeting and they can come on in. 
Spot on, so there's your chance. We're going to have a listener guest halfway through, hopefully. Um, so to, to come on and ask us um, a pre-organized question, and that happens when we um, uh, put out the poll, the weekly poll of listeners' uh, questions. But sort of, um, you just if you're just listening, you're welcome to come and join us, and we just chill and have a, a bit chat. It's much less formal. It's not part of the proper show. Um, and now, of course, it's time for... Well, you really have cracked those um, that music and the jingles. It's it's brilliant. Sort of well, the earpods. It helps. Well, it's fabulous. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> who am I going to start with? Um, I think our guest of honour, um, sort of um, in loco guest of honour. Anyway, Laura, <laughs> moment of the week. Well, um, this one's been tough, actually, John. I know um, when I've been on your radio incarnation of this show i always try to keep it positive but it's it's a bit difficult to find that at the minute um and one story in particular really sort of got to me this week and it was a story of the tory mp who was arrested for sexual assault and potential alleged rape um of a parliamentary aide who was working for him um towards the end of last year um that in itself is bad enough um, that's a story in itself, but I think the thing that really bothered us was that it, this fella, the, they knew about it. The investigation started four months ago, and he's never had the whip removed. He's, he's never been suspended from the party at all. Um, he's been allowed to go on. This, The alleged victim has been to the Tory party whip on a number of occasions to explain how uncomfortable she was about this and how she wanted something to happen. Um, she's since received threats of violence from this MP, allegedly. Um, and the chief whip apparently had said to her, don't worry, you'd never do it. <laughs> and that was his response. Um, so it really bothers us, especially on the back of, there was an article that um, Vera Baird had, had um, been involved in for The Guardian about, and we've talked about this before on your show, John, I'm sure, about yes. the, the, um, the terrible conviction rape, rates for rape. And it just seems like it's just one thing after another with this and especially especially with the Tories I'll just come out and say it it feels like we are living in a patriarchal society with patriarchal structures that will always will out will always win will always get away with things the fact that they haven't even suspended him now suspending him is not an omission of guilt or innocence it's just saying while you are being investigated really you shouldn't have this position you shouldn't be representing people um and, and wait until the investigation's concluded but they haven't done that and their reasoning for doing it is so bully they said they want to protect the parliamentary aid because people will know who she is if they let slip who this is because nobody knows who who the alleged perpetrator is um but this poor woman is going nuts about it she's saying no I, I want him to be suspended <laughs> you haven't asked me what I want um so yeah it, it's really bothered us and I, I'll be keeping a close eye on it and I think absolutely they should have suspended him by now and and we'll see what happens I think it's uh, all about the standards that the two to which the Tories hold themselves and um I, I think it's a really bad sign I absolutely agree um the discussion of the rape the convictions and the prosecutions for rape are lower than ever this year. And it was, that was one of the topics for 
which we yeah. which the listeners decided they didn't want to discuss about um, last. I know. Uh, maybe we week. can get them to talk about it again because I, I really want to get my teeth into that one. So the, the, I will just, maybe sneakily put that on the poll another time. <laughs> horrific, Stuart. Moment of the week. I had I had a physical council meeting today. It was the most exciting thing I've done in so long. And uh, that's why I've got my face covering on. And they give me this. Look at that. For your meeting? For my meeting. It's got my name on. <laughs> so they know who I am. And uh, <laughs> that, that was the most brilliant uh, military-like exercise I've seen in some time. To organise, to get a physical council meeting of just uh, 10 people in a room and to get to get through some stuff that really needed sort quite quickly. And uh, it's really made my day. Um, the, uh, I, I was talking to my wife today and I really miss, I, I think all this working from home is very negative. I really miss driving through to County Hall, which was three quarters of an hour of just being on myself and chilling out driving. And then a physical meeting when you're meeting other people and then three quarters of an hour chilling out, coming back. Uh, I, sort of just being sat working and then going to your meeting, then coming back and being in the house and really suffering under that. Were you excited to meet them all? I mean, did it, was it a release or, or were you very nervous? Oh, I was nervous actually, go on. I didn't know what to expect, but uh, it was an incredible experience. Honestly, best, best meeting I've had in ages. Good, I'm Samantha, moment of the week. Hello, uh, just to say, uh, Julie uh, is commenting on what Laura said, and she does make the point that the government were quite happy to remove the rip from 21 MPs who didn't vote the way they wanted to on Brexit, but suddenly they're dithering about this guy uh, who may or may not have committed. Priorities, a Samantha, priorities. Says a lot about their priorities. Voting with the party, that's a very important thing. Raping people, that's something that's got to sweep people with Absolutely. Um, allegedly. So this is, allegedly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is the, the big story in the Bishop Auckland area uh, this mm. morning. Um, I know. <laughs> I've got to say it with a very serious spirit because this is serious news. Uh, Bishop Auckland Mayor accused of delivering coronavirus cupcakes to care home. <laughs> Right, I'm going to say, obviously, I'm very distressed about people dying in care homes. For anybody who um, hasn't seen this before or doesn't know about my story, I, my grandma died in a care home with COVID-19. So it's not, it's not a laughing matter, but this is just a ridiculous case of political tit-for-tat that's just escalated to this, this, this strange position where the mayor of Bishop Auckland has had to submit a statement to the Northern Echo kind of saying yes I did deliver cupcakes to the care home that's kind of my job as the mayor and we did it all in a very safe way and it wasn't me putting these people at risk it started with the Bishop Auckland and Cowden branch of the Labour Party um being the opposition and nailing the fact that there had been a lot of care home deaths in this particular care home uh, to conservative government policy, which I understand not everybody agrees with that, but it's a valid point to make, especially for the Labour Party. Um, and our MP Deanna likes to do 
uh, something to um, shut people down. And what she does is she reshares them because she knows that she's got a very active and passionate fan base who will go and bully the people who she disagrees with. And most of the time that helps people, uh, help makes people delete what they've said. She does it on Twitter a lot. Um, she tried to do that for the Bishop Auckland and Kilden Brent of the Labour Party, and they uh, did not delete their posts, but they did get an awful lot of negativity, including threats of violence towards our activists, which is totally not acceptable. Um, and yes, and so we said, okay, this is government policy that's done this. Um, she shared it on and said, this is ridiculous. They're trying to make political capital out of a humanitarian crisis. And then their supporters have said, well, and Joy Allen took cakes there. So she put them at risk too. And it's just the way things are spiraling. Like, I think it is linked to what you're saying uh, there, John, about people working from home, um, not using their mouths to sound things out and hear how things sound when you actually say them and realizing how absolutely off the wall they are um it's just ridiculous so no i can say with my hand on my heart i disagree with joy allen on many things but she would never send coronavirus cupcakes to a care home I think you've got to love the alliteration. Coronavirus cupcake. I mean, whoever came up with the phrase is is an editor fantastic. But this is happening a lot, and I think we'll be discussing an issue later on. That what happens is that the Conservatives make a political statement, the Labour Party or Labour people, and sometimes not even Labour people, make an opposing statement. And then the Tories swan in and they're saying, why are you politicising this? That's disgusting, you politicising this. We don't like this. It's just uh, unpleasant. And, and they started it, in a way. And, and, and sort of, um, but people listen to them. But we'll, I think we'll be talking about that later. And um, finally, we're running a bit late, Paul. Moment of the week. Um, I'd firstly like to um, send my well wishes to all those poor people in Beirut. Um, awful disaster that's happened this evening. Nice. Uh, the explosion. Uh, that's the first thing I'd like to say. My moment of the week is the propaganda that you're talking about. You know, those, um, oh, sorry, I think they were called uh, coronavirus briefings. They have worked. Um, so uh, a poll from YouGov says that amongst the general population, um, Britons would hold the public responsible for a second wave. If there were to be a second wave, 52% um, would blame the public of the general population, 31% would blame the government, and 11% would blame neither. Uh, among Labour voters, it would be 28% would blame the public, 61% would blame the government, and uh, amongst Conservative voters, 75% would blame the government, and 7% would blame sorry, 75% will blame the public and 7% will blame the government. So we're in a situation where if the government can literally do whatever they want. So Richie's big giveaway and like, you know, the pub's being absolutely packed, everywhere's rammed. That is people's own fault. So we're back to, there's no such thing as society, there's only such a thing as individuals. I, um, I mean, just following on from that, if I'd have had a moment of the week, um, it would have been along the same lines, but it would have been the Prime Minister of the time making his brother appear. And 
your mouth just drops open at the nepotism. Mm -hmm. But when I said that, on everybody's down your throat. Oh, so you're just troublemakers. Oh. And, and they literally can. And when you get people coming onto social media, furious that the suggestion that there's something wrong with a prime minister ennobling his own brother. Uh, you just, the, the world has gone mad. I think, I think the, it's not even the worst one. Like he was probably, you know, Joe Johnson did resign as an MP because he, he really didn't trust, he didn't have any faith in his brother's ability to lead. So that's quite an interesting appointment. The worst one for me is Claire Fox, who uh, openly supported the IRA, um, wanted the, um, I, I believe, I'm not 100% sure on this, but she supported Gary Glitter, and she talked about the age of consent being reduced um, to protect paedophiles, I believe, um, that one. The so that one's an allegedly. Well, she, she's never, <laughs> I, think, I think there's plenty of evidence out there that would suggest that that's the case. Horrific. And she's a lord. Um, thank you, everybody, for those very interesting... I wonder if people... Have, uh, some other people commenting on your moments of the week, because they're very, very interesting moments of the week, everyone. They are. There's lots of uh, chatter about how our new Tory MPs conduct themselves on social media, uh, particularly the North West Durham MP. Uh, yeah. I don't know whether any of you have encountered him. And that, that is where this... This story about the care home in Bishop Auckland, that's where it started. Because like you say, um, the, first, the first sort of stone that was thrown was uh, Richard Holden and Deanna, De Deanna Davison saying that there should be an a investigation into what's happening at Durham County Council. When Durham County Council are simply doing what the government has told them to do. Um, and that was a, a political that was a politically motivated thing for them to say. And for them to say otherwise is just insulting our intelligence. Absolutely. Um, but we're going to be talking about that um, after, um, in the second half of the, 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 or the final third of the, of, of the show. Um, okay, um, and now it's time for... Now it's time for the big story. Um, and the big story today is um, whose U-turn has stopped the North in its tracks? Samantha, explain what's going on. Um, so this, this is about the, the Northern lockdown. Um, it, was a, it was a brilliant moment, actually. I was watching the news, which I don't get to do very often because I don't, I don't want to expose the kids to it. And basically, I've got wrestle the TV off them if I do want to watch the news. So I was watching the news, Alex had just put the kids to bed and he came downstairs and all he heard was that Matt Hancock is imposing a northern lockdown and he looked at me. He's like, oh no, I'm like, no, no, don't worry. It's not the real north. <laughs> 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 it's not us. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what, you know, the start of the confusion. You know, just from that one sentence, already people are confused. Where is the North? Not that North. And, and there was confusion more about where the boundaries were around West Yorkshire, wherever else it was, uh, where whereabouts in Manchester, because obviously Manchester is a huge area. Um, and then, so, we, and that, that's the crux of it, is the confusion um, and the lack of support for uh, the businesses 
that are affected. It's just, um, and it's got everybody else who runs a business everywhere else in the country trying to work out, all right, what do we do now? So I've got a business based in Newcastle. And for the last week, we've been trying to work out how we spread our assets around the Northeast so that we can still operate if Newcastle gets locked down. Uh, because we can't assume other no local lockdowns will operate the same as the one that's just happened because the one that's just happened is different from the other one that happened before. So you've got to plan for the worst. And um, and that's, that's one of the things that, that's kind of killing business nationally is the uncertainty, the inability to plan for things. And I understand, I absolutely understand that you've got to move when you've got to move and uh, we're in very uncertain times. But the government knew it was aid um, and for them to lock down uh, areas which, which have got a significant Muslim population, not even mentioning uh, the ramifications, essentially it, from a Christian point of view saying we're going to cancel Christmas on Christmas Eve um, and then poor Muslims have been uh, vilified in the media ever since and people take photos of what were actually socially distanced celebrations from dodgy angles to make them look like they're really crowded in. Um, it's just, it's one of these things. Unfortunately, I understand people make, um, people make honest mistakes, but the government has the experience and the knowledge to draw on that this is not the type of mistake they can really um, excuse. The fact that they announced it on Twitter, the fact that there wasn't a big... Uh, press conference to get people's attention and let's face it they knew it was happening they could have done it 24 hours before but they didn't um so it was just very very disappointing Stuart uh, I'm, I'm not completely opposed to a lockdown if it was necessary but the bit that kind of to got made straight away was the fact that people were finding out on twitter like Sam said you know, leaders of local authorities, uh, medical professionals, you know, the kind of people that you really want uh, informed that stuff's going to be changing very quickly. They find out on Twitter at the same time as everyone else and it just caused pandemonium. Paul, I mean, there's been a good deal of confusion about um, what people had to do and, and how sensible the, the lockdown rules were. I mean, what do you make of all that? Um, you had to. You have to go to work. You you could be sacked if you didn't go to work. You could be fined if you visited your nana. Um, but you can go to a restaurant, and get a get a half price thing if you can afford it. You can pack yourself into a restaurant. They later like they later clarified that um, Matt Hancock didn't know what the rules were. He kept on saying these stupid things on TV. Come on, it's an absolute mess. It's it. I'm, if I wasn't so angry, I would find it maybe funny um, or embarrassing. Um, I have this, uh, our daughter inherited from us uh, this cringe gene, and I cringe when embarrassing things happen, and I cringe whenever they come on the TV. I'm like, oh, they're not saying that. Please don't say that. Please don't say that. They're saying ridiculous things, but people seem to have faith in this nonsense, and I don't know why. Um, sort of divisive, do you find the whole thing very divisive? Deliberately so. Um, I think it's deliberately divisive because they want to be, 
pointing people at different people. Actually, it's not our fault for organising this absolute chaos. It's their fault because look at them. They're not, not wearing a mask. This like, so person with learning difficulties isn't wearing a mask. You need to shout at them. You need to police this yourself. And that's a sort of an, an anarchic approach to governance, like saying, actually, you should be pointing at each other and telling each other what to do, rather than saying, look, these are strict rules. We expect you to follow them. We think you're nice people. We trust you. You've had a lot of good faith at the beginning of this lockdown. Let's do it again. Okay, because you can trust us. And now that's gone. It's just pointing fingers. It's blaming Muslims. And how dare they blame an entire faith of people? What a ridiculous thing. We need to stop looking at each other as groups of people and start saying, those humans there, those humans who've been um, working in our hospitals and in our care homes and doing so much good that you were clapping for, all of you, every single Muslim is to blame for this. And we know it's not that. We know it's not that at all. We know that Muslims are probably less likely to be in the pub. You know, that, that Muslims are probably less likely to do other things um, and, and possibly more likely to be gathering for aid. Definitely more likely to be gathering for aid. But it's, it, that doesn't mean they're to blame for this entire thing. I mean, Paul, one thing that I've been saying for a long time is that we're, we're rattling at a rate of knots rightwards in politics. And I feared that we were moving towards some kind of right-wing dictatorship. In fact, what I fear is that actually we're rattling to some kind of anarchy. I mean, people are just basically deciding which rules they'll follow and which rules they won't. And the, the, the government is entirely responsible for that because they, they, they're, they're making rules that even they don't understand them, which make no sense. Uh, almost, as I think we said last week, almost inviting people. To, to disobey them. So, the, um, yeah. Laura, um, <laughs> last thing. Um, is the um, tougher lockdown working or uh, do you think that we're sliding back into pandemic? Um, I don't think the pandemic's ever gone away. There's no sliding back into it. We're in it still. Whether those figures get reported or not, they're still happening, unfortunately. Um, I think highlighting things like this and doing extreme measures like local lockdowns and stuff, which could be seen as extreme or absolutely the right thing to do, depending on your point of view. Really, it's just all a bit too late. Um, it's just far too little too late. And there's no sliding back. We're still in it. And talking about a second spike and, and now Boris is saying, oh, do you know, maybe there's going to be a second spike here. We're all like, well, yes. <laughs> we could have told you that months ago because the rules just aren't clear they haven't been from day one um so yeah i think i think it's just all a mess and as i say the pandemic has never gone away so there's no there's no sliding back into it we're just going further into it in a different way with different words <laughs> to follow <laughs> does anybody know how we're doing in the northeast i mean is the r rate rising in the northeast or, or are we are we escaping I'm not sure about the northeast, but I was looking into this last week. Actually, I was at the weekend. The the R rate around the country, the a lot of them are above one now in very many regions, and it's not getting reported. Um, there's there was about four or five of them that I saw were above one, and that was meant to be like the absolute no-no, and everything gets stopped. But now that's just, do you know what? The economy is important. 
let's go and eat out and all be happy <laughs> and just forget I mean, about that silly vibe. The joke was on social media, wasn't it? That sort of um, the new rule for Manchester and West Yorkshire and Lancashire is um, if it's got a till, you can go there. Um, well, exactly. If it hasn't, you'll be fine. And, and, and sort of it seems very much to be, and, and all this kind of thing, which is a, a slightly difficult, a different thing as well, uh, Laura, um, all about sort of, uh, we, do we co close the pubs to get the children back to school? No, 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 we can do both, we're sure. And, and right, okay, I've got, a, I've got a massive bee in my bonnet about this. As you know, I work very closely with a lot of teachers. Um, really? The, I do. You're, like, you're close to teachers, are you? I am, yes. <laughs> um, I don't think people realise how effective of a delivery method being in schools is. Um, obviously, early on, they said, oh, we're not sure if children can actually um, transmit this virus. And it's been proven that actually they can not only transmit, but can get the virus as well. Maybe it's less serious in children, but they can absolutely transmit it. And if we've all got to go back to work now, and grandparents are looking after the children when they pick them up from school. Um, honestly, September, if all the schools go back fully, for me, I think we're going to see how dangerous this thing is if it's not dealt with properly. Cling film, that's the answer. Just wrap them up <laughs> completely in cling film. And, and sort of, um, Thankfully, John isn't working long. anymore. So. <laughs> So, um, lockdown in Northern uh, England. Uh, Sam, last word on this and we'll move on. Well, just to link on to that thing about schools, you know, there was, um, it's been published, research published in The Lancet, was it this morning, saying that, but from the scientists, right, this is not the left wing, the loony left, it's not a momentum conspiracy theory. The scientists are saying, if you want the kids to go back to school and not have a huge second spike, which is going to be double the size of the one that we've just had, we need a more effective test and trace system. Uh, the test and trace system as it exists is, is an utter joke. It's ridiculous. Uh, I don't know about anybody else, but I, 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 I'm not very easy contactable on the phone. <laughs> um, I, I really needed the app. I really needed the app. I went to KFC today. Um, because I can't eat out to help out because I've got three kids. <laughs> I went to KFC today and they had a little QR code on the till for you to scan with your mobile phone for their test and trace system. And nobody did it. I didn't do it. It's just not working and they desperately need to pick up the game on it. Yes. Absolutely. Um, very worrying. I, 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 as you know, um, last week I uh, took a test um, we, we developed some symptoms, not COVID symptoms in our peers, but we thought we'd better check just in case. And uh, it was very efficient. It came very quickly. I sent it back. It, the, the instructions were really clear and we, we heard the next day. I couldn't, I couldn't praise it higher. But what's missing is and the and trace of that. Oh. And, uh, and it's just non-existent. Um, have we got a visitor, Paul, yet? We do indeed, yes. Um, oh, are we going to introduce our, our visitor into the meeting? I shall admit her now. <laughs> this is a, the exciting moment, this Here Ooh. she is! Hi, Angie! Ah. Oh, oh, oh. Now she's, she's got the last look of somebody there who's navigating. She she's, the, she's, the, in, the, she's in, she's in. Here she is, yes. Have you got your microphone working, Angela? 
I think so. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Welcome to Political Unmuted. Um, it's so good to see you. And you are our second listener guest. And um, I think we'll just go get straight down to business because it's um, really important. Um, uh, just the rules, Angela. Don't forget if you want, if somebody's talking and you want to say something, we hope you're going to say a lot. Um, <laughs> just put your fingers up above the, you know, the, 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 the bottom of the screen like that. You can see on the screen whether they're there or not. And the person who's talking will just shut up and you can say what you like, okay? Um, so, but you have a question. Um, if you like to ask the question, that would be really cool. I just want to know what the panel thinks of the nurses having to march for to secure a pay deal, because we have been left out of the pay deal for the NHS. I think you're going to fight fairly much unanimity, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I can't see there being much of a discussion, but we'll have, I was going to start with Laura. Laura, do you want to kick up on this? Why not? Uh, you got time for a rant? <laughs> I love a rant. That's um, what you've I mean, it's it's just pathetic, isn't it? It's pathetic. How dare you stand outside every Thursday night clapping something and then not giving it, not giving it its due? And actually, it's not just about a pay rise now. They were never getting paid enough anyway. They should have been. This whole crisis has shown something really, really important that I hope people don't forget, and that's the most important jobs we've got in this entire country are the least paid and always have been the people who get paid the most no one even knows what their jobs are no one has a clue you've got billionaires who push buttons to send money into different places and they're all fine and they've got loads of money you've got so nurses can I just struggling you there for two seconds because yes. with respect the billionaires do not press any buttons at all they <laughs> have very clever people who push their buttons, buttons for them. For them. <laughs> All well, they yeah. need to do is sit there and get other people to make money for them. Yeah, um, well, I mean, you're absolutely right. So, utterly, I mean, utterly leeches on society. It's disgusting. It's disgusting that we live in a world where people who save other people's lives are treated in such a disrespectful way. Um, and, you know, you can go, well, money's not everything. It bloody well is. It really is when you've got nurses having to do two jobs or use food banks. No, they shouldn't be out marching is the top and bottom of it. You shouldn't have to be going out on Saturday. Um, I absolutely love the solidarity and the fact that you can all come together and do that. I'm a massive advocate for that. I love a good rally. But no, there's no need for it. There shouldn't be a need for it. You should just have been paid for years and years exactly what you deserve in my opinion, and I think in probably most people's opinions, so why is it not happening? <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. Stuart, I mean, so why, why has the government done this? I mean, we were organised, Laura said it, we were organised to clap the nurses Thursday after Thursday after Thursday, and then basically the nurses are the only people that virtually they didn't give a pay rise to. I, I honestly think it's just cruelty. Like, there's an actual, you know, ha, 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 you've missed out thing going on in the background where somebody's taken actual pleasure in denying what is essentially a, you know, a sub-inflation level pay rise. You know, th those pay rises weren't going to change anyone's lives, but it was, you know, the gesture of it. And somebody's went, you know what, well, it's not going to really help them. Let's just not do it anyway. 
It's awful. Yeah. I mean, I mean, sort of, Angela, do you, I mean, do you think it was directed punishment or is it just incompetence or lack of empathy? I mean, why do you think the governments behaved in this way? Well, to be honest, um, from 2010, a lot of experienced nurses, not just qualified nurses, by the way, um, are about 20% down on their pay um, because they haven't had a pay rise. And so in real terms, a lot of them are 20% worse off. Um, the last pay deal we had wasn't a very good pay deal, but it was designed to lift people who were actually not even earning minimum wage out of that band. Mm -hmm. And it was basically, basically what the unions did in order to lift those people out of that band that they should never have been in. When the more experienced staff were sacrificed, and as a consequence, in, you know, sort of 10 years down the line, I've got nurses having to work extra bank shifts just to make ends meet, um, which isn't paid at an overtime rate or anything. In fact, a lot of them are on a lot less when they do a bank shift, but it's just so they can support their families. So it's been quite good because they've filled the nursing, the sort of nursing vacancy shifts by pushing us into this weird pay trap where we've got to work extra just to keep up. Um, so do I, do I think, do I think, I think nurses have always been seen as a pushover um, because people generally, um, nurses won't come out and strike. Um, you know, it's against, it's, it's, it's against our moral code to really strike, you know. Um, and when we have taken industrial action in the past, it's been very carefully organised between the two unions so the services didn't suffer and, you know, um, I was there in, at 88 um, when we did we did strike. Um, I was only a student nurse and I was giving cups of tea out on the picket line to the nurses who were out. But even then, it was very carefully organised so the patients didn't suffer. So yes, we are we are a pushover. Um, but I think there's an, there is so much anger this time. And I've got nurses who have no interest in politics who are going to attend the march on Saturday because they've had enough. They just have had enough. I mean, from the front line with basically no protection, um, and then they, they do this to us. It, 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 I don't know. It, it's not in our nature to really do this, but I think there's that much anger now, and I think that it's got to stop. And I think we've reached the saturation point of goodwill if I'm honest. So I feel the nurses now feel they've got nowhere else to turn but to actually march. Is it true, Angela, that um, nurses have to pay uh, a yearly fee to be a nurse? Yeah, so when I qualified, it used to be um, 30, I think it was £32 for three years. And now I pay um, £128 a year. And that has to come out of your inadequate to live on yeah, anyway. It's, it's our um it's keep our names on the professional register. Yeah. I mean so they're calling you a profession a profession, but then treating you appallingly. Oh we 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 just can't believe it. We just cannot believe it. Um and we can't believe how slow the unions are with this as well, and that that's quite upsetting. Let's see, what, um, let's see what Sam has to say. Sam? 
Is it is it still is it still accurate? Would it still be accurate to say, Angela, that most nurses are women? Yes, they are. <laughs> and so are care home workers. Yes. And those are two huge gaping gaps in who is being paid um, extra for this extra pay award. Which, by the way, even the people who are getting paid extra for this pay award, the teachers and the, and the police, it's all going to come out of existing budgets. So it's less money for actual law enforcement and actual teaching, uh, which is another problem. But coming back to nurses, because that's what we're talking about. Um, there is a problem with jobs which are predominantly female getting um, valued less um, and this is there are there are studies about this and I can produce I can produce citations for it um, so that that's a concern you know we're really rolling back here we're really rolling back and we need to we need to make sure that women aren't being paid less just by virtue of jobs that they tend to go into, whether it's whether it's because there's an, an, an innate caring nature to women, or whether it's just because we go towards jobs that we see ourselves represented in. Um, so it's a self-perpetuating problem. Um, obviously, I'm disgusted at what's happened with nurses and care home staff. I'm disgusted what the way they uh, treated the student nurses, uh, the way they dragged them into hospitals. That was an outrage. I was just so angry about that. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, these are student nurses who, uh, so in some cases, because you've got to get your, your number of uh, clinic hours in to get your qualifications. Uh, so they're paying for, their, paying for their own qualifications. In some cases, having to have other jobs on top of having to be a nurse, which is absolutely, I mean, I find that unethical, not only from the nurse's point of view, but from the people who they've got to care for, who are then being cared for by somebody who is physically exhausted. Um, and then with this whole obesity thing, nurses and care home staff being uh, pilloried because uh, people are saying, oh, well, if, if I've got to be thin, what about them? And you're like, well, you try working a 12 hour shift with not enough time to eat. And when you do get a chance to eat, you just grab whatever's in front of you in the break room because you physically just need calories so you don't keel over onto these poor patients. They have no idea about the reality of this. And um, yes, I, obviously I find it really upsetting. But on top of all this, and I, you know, I, I don't wanna, don't wanna um, expose any of Angela's personal um, personal medical history but on top of this we've got good nurses and good care home staff who have been very very ill because of the way they have not been protected in their workplace and you know in lots of other workplaces it's all oh we've got to tape this cable down so nobody strips over it and there's health and safety up the kazoo but if you are a nurse we're just like okay well try not to let anybody lick you it's ridiculous <gasps> Paul. Nurses aren't going to vote Tory, are they? Some have. Yeah, well, I... is it some some might, but as a rule, they seem to have given up on that that part of the electorate. After this, after what they've seen through COVID, after they've seen the horrors of how the government have dealt with this, the vast majority of nurses are going to think, damage done there, we don't trust this government. That's what I think. And I think they just gamble. I think everything that the Conservatives do is about which votes they can win. It's not about how well they can deal with the, with the economy, with health, with anything like that. It's about how many votes they can win. Because 
if the Conservatives are good at anything, it's keeping power. I also link it, Paul, to their ultimate aims about the NHS because um, they are, you, you always know um, when we're heading towards some kind of privatization wave because the, um, the, um, uh, the media are all about the failings of the NHS and it's all, we've got, we've got a downer on the NHS and um, sort of it's, it's because we're wanting to find a reason to sell it off. And I thought one of the things that Angela said that was really clear. I said, why are they, why are they doing this? Why, why are they doing this to these people who a little while ago they were praising to the high halls? And the, the fact, because as he's, he's, Angela points out, there's the cash reason. And if we have a low paid, cheap workforce, my golly, doesn't that make it much more attractive uh, to other, other firms to move in and take over? And if we have a very high skilled, high, uh, highly mobilized uh, and very expensive workforce, that's, that's not as attractive to a, a predator company. Angela, um, we're going to tell us about the march, then people who want to support it can go on it. Um, I'm taking this as a, a physical march, not a virtual march. So if you can tell us where it's meeting and when it's setting off and uh, um, sort of uh, you, you sort of you have the last word now here, so you can do any propagandizing you want to do, and we'll applaud you at the end. Of it. Oh no, Angela, you've gone. She's frozen. It was, it was her big. Moment. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's a, a government trick. It's the Russians again. <laughs> Well, if she can get back on, we can do something about that. That's right. Can somebody send her, uh, Sam, can you send her a message saying that she's, she's frozen and if she signs out and signs back on again, we'll, we'll, we'll take her. That's okay. The, because I don't know when, does anybody know when this March is? No, but we'll, we'll get it before the end of the show. That's she's gone, she's but we'll, she when, when she comes back in, we'll, we'll get her back. Towards the end of the show, we'll maybe bring her in at the first part of the chill out room. Oh, oh, no, she's back. Hey. Yeah. Angela, hello. <laughs> Sorry, my broadband's rubbish. I know, I know, we got very upset there. So, what I said was, <laughs> this is your bit now. Where are you marching from and to, and when are you marching? Can people join you? Just give the big spiel and sell your cause. Right, so we're marching in Newcastle on the 8th. At 11 o'clock, we meet at the RVI. You've got to wear a face mask and it will be a very socially distanced march. Um, so the nurses will have their arms out by their sides so nobody will come near them. Um, yes, you can march with us by all means. Anybody can. Make your own placards. We're looking for lots of support and we're marching to the monument. It was just from the RVI to the monument. We're not going very far, really. Um, but we hope that we're going to make loads of noise and get noticed. There's loads of marches all over the country, all setting off at the same time. So hopefully Newcastle will make loads and loads of noise. Thank you. And sort of, um, certainly we here. Are you going to be putting stuff on your Facebook page that we can then share around? I will. I will be. I'll probably sort of stream it and things. Um, and obviously it would be great if people can comment. Um, there'll, there'll be lo there's loads of pages. 
Um, so Nurses United is a page to follow at the moment because they're doing loads and loads of stuff about our pay deal, trying to pressure the unions to get us a good deal when we go back to the table. Um, so there's loads of stuff out there because nurses are really organising at quite a rapid pace. That's fantastic. And so just before we say goodbye, what a lovely picture behind you. What, what, what's oh, she about? That's the Banksy picture. Um, oh. Banksy donated to the NHS. Um, I think it's it's an absolute amazing picture, and if you haven't seen it, you get a what does it show? What, what what's it about? What's it about? It, it's basically um, a basket of superheroes, and the little boys picked a nurse out. Ah, oh, fantastic! Yes, well done. And on that note, Angela, God bless. Thank you for joining us, and and we we must welcome you on another time. Thank you very much. All the thank best you. for Saturday, and thank, thank you to you and all the nurses. We really yes. appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Paul. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant drumming. Brilliant. Yeah, Brilliant. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, we are short of time on both these. Um, Paul, talk to me about the part, um, sort of who was sent home with the spread death. <clears throat> uh, people, our most vulnerable people, the people who live in care homes, people with, with maybe learning difficulties, people with dementia, um, you know, basically this is, a, this is about the panorama documentary and, and all the things that that chronicled um laura and i watched it yesterday i've still not calmed down i can't i can't put into words how bad the situation was and and how stark the reality is of these brilliant people working in care homes for very little pay possibly even having to use food banks to keep themselves going people who've come from other countries or immigrants. These people have been so vilified in the media um, who cared so much for those people who were given absolutely no guidance. We see locally that people are attacking Durham County Council for their response to the coronavirus crisis. If it's Durham County Council's fault, then why did it happen everywhere? Why has it happened in every area of this country? 22,000 people living in care homes have died. 22,000 people living in care homes died of the coronavirus and they did know and they keep on backtracking. They knew that it was transmissible without symptoms. They've known everything and all they ever do is make up excuses about why it's not their fault. And Matt Hancock's responses to that have, yeah, I'm, I'm furious and I'm upset about it and, um, my heart goes out to all those people who work in care homes and all those people who have relatives in care homes because those people were trying to do the best. And all I've seen from the likes of Matt Hancock and others have been excuses. Oh, we did do it right. We did do it right. I would admire them. I don't admire them at all, but I would have, I would have a lot more respect for them if they came out and said, We've made a massive mistake here. And you know what? We're really sorry. We're sorry for your loss. But instead, it's all like, oh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Childish games. 
pathetic. I mean, any idiot could have seen what was going to happen. This was yeah. the time then we, they were telling us that we mustn't sit in a room with a person and breathe on each other for more than 20 minutes, else you'd get it. And they were putting people they knew uh, back, had the disease, they knew they had it. And they were just sending them back into um, cows and they were instructing councils to insist that that happened to get the money. Um, Samantha. Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to ask me a specific question. Yeah, I mean, everything that Paul said, I watched it and um, yeah, I found, I found it really upsetting um, and, and made me really angry. At, and the one one of the things that really struck me was there was a, this small, lovely care home, um, which cost a lot of money. But the guy was obviously doing it for all the right reasons. He clearly cared yeah. very deeply about the people who were in that home, um, and he, he like basically begged the local hospital not to send somebody in with COVID, um, who who was waiting for results of a COVID test, and they wouldn't let him, and not only did it spread through their care home um it, he said um we, we usually we usually lose three residents a year and we've lost uh, nine in three months or something like that it, um but because it was a small care home that also meant that it would potentially totally wreck the business and made it unviable so the ones that had survived uh, could be made homeless um, and moved to another care home now no one is to interrupt you, Samantha. 75% yeah. occupancy on care homes in County Durham at the moment. And there's two reasons for that. One, the tragic reason that a number of people have died. But the other thing is, is that what they've not been doing, they've not been accepting new people in for obvious reasons. So yeah. now, um, given the fact that the privatization of the system essentially drove down fees because they were out there in a competitive market. And so the, 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 the fees that they were able to charge, particularly to councils, have dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped. Uh, so the, the, they're working very close to the margins anyway. Now down at 75%, we're not just talking about one or two care homes worried about going under. We're talking about mass failure across the system. And it is a huge, huge problem. Um, yeah. So, and Anne's commenting saying that not all care homes are like them and, and, and don't, you know, care homes get paid to look after these people. Yeah, I appreciate that not all care homes are like the ones on that documentary. It, it took huge bravery for them to allow the BBC in. Um, that wouldn't, wouldn't happen in most places. Um, that's exactly why their care sector should be nationalised. There is absolutely no reason why the care sector is separate to the NHS. All care homes should be the same everywhere. That's the argument. Um, and this, the, the idea that there are swathes of care homes that might go out of business because of that, just proves they shouldn't have never been a business in the first place. The, one of the big problems that small care homes have had is this uh, internal market, the fact that bigger care homes have had more buying power to get the PPE in. Bigger care homes were able to get that quite quickly. The smaller care homes found it quite difficult. And that shouldn't be the case at all. So the argument that yes these care homes are different to a lot of care homes that are out there just plays into my argument that the nhs should include care 
Thank you. Um, last question. I'm uh, sort of. We are almost time, Paul. I hope you don't mind us overrunning by a few minutes because I, want I think to... I think we should because I think this needs to be heard. Um, I think this needs to be addressed. I think the last the the, the last question here is um, is quite important, Stuart. Um, who is waging a war of words? Is there the alliteration there? No, the, it's not just the Tories who can do the, uh, uh, the, the <laughs> alliteration with the coronavirus cupcakes. We're, we're waging a war of words. Uh, is it us, as in the Labour Party, Central CLP and, and company, and the local MP, Paul Howell? Good. Do you want to come in to meet? Oh, I'd, I'd try to. But well, he blocked me, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, there's a discussion going on about uh, the reasons why people are being blocked on Paul Howell's social media accounts. There's, and uh, just from a, a standpoint, it isn't just Labour Party members or activists. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason for a lot of the, the blockings. And, uh, it's quite troubling in a way. I, I, can, I can understand people uh, being blocked for uh, abuse or you know, threats of violence, or things along those lines. But when somebody hasn't had a single interaction with their MP on Facebook getting blocked, then it sort of brings up questions. Uh, oh, there's so much. <laughs> but Stuart, is it not fair? I mean, this is the MP's blog, the MP's Facebook social media case. I mean, isn't that an argument that if he wants to block someone, it's his page. He, he doesn't have to listen to them, does he? He doesn't. He doesn't have to listen to anybody, apparently. Uh, I mean, it's fair deals if you're, you're, you were actually trolling somebody. Blocking's not an issue with me. When it's just a general you know, member of the public, a constituent asking a question, and then getting blocked because it was a difficult question, then that's something different. And uh, that really kind of hits home at the idea of uh, silencing people or, you know, covering up what, what's being asked or questioned. Paul? Some were blocked before they'd had any interaction with, with the MP. So that was what our war of words was over. And, and we all know the history of this show this show was sort of run off air on a, on a radio station, which I won't mention because the other um, DJs got a lot of grief because of this show by right-wing trolls. Um, a couple of us were moderators, maybe three, I think three of us were moderators on that show. And we knew every single complaint that came in was from the right. And every single thing that came on there was from, uh, was, was like um, every single, aggressive post on there was from the right so they were complaining about left-wing posts but then putting horrible things on and then complaining when they were blocked and Paul Howell was a moderator as well and he was in complete agreement with us but then he was saying well you know maybe we shouldn't be blocking them and, and what have you he, he's all over the place with this he calls people disingenuous he's called me disingenuous on so many occasions does he know how insulting that is He's calling me a liar. He's calling me a liar on his MP page. Paul Howell, MP for Sedgefield, calls Paul Daly a liar. Those who know me, I'm, I'm sometimes wrong. 
I don't lie. I think people believe that of me. I think people believe that I'm truthful. And I think that's really, really wrong for an MP to be going around and abusing his constituents. And, um, you know, I find, I find his behaviour on there absolutely absurd. Most of the time, people were just blocked for quoting him. They quoted him back to him. And that, that's, I think that was why Stuart was blocked. Um, yes. Because he quoted, he quoted a section of a video that he'd done underneath the video. It's like someone quoting us underneath here, saying, oh, I don't like that Paul just said that. You know, and I'll, I'm like, I didn't do that. You're being disingenuous. <laughs> it's Laura, ridiculous. I think that, I mean, when he got hammered in the newspaper this week for being lobby fodder. Did you read that news? New, that, that I, I, I saw a little bit of it, yeah. So, um, I mean, is it fair to criticise a Tory MP for obeying the Tory whip? Um, I don't really think anybody's criticising him. I think they're highlighting what's happening. Um, just like all the people, not all the people, you know, it's fine to block people if they're being genuinely horrible to you. Um, but no one I saw was doing that. And like um, Paul just said, people were just repeating things he'd already said. So I think um, criticising is maybe a strong word for it. Um, I'm really, really <laughs> trying hard, but I'm just going to say it. Maybe he's not lobby fodder. Maybe he's a whipping boy. Um, he seems to be very happy to go against what he said, to just go with his party's line and toe the line. And if that's what he needs to do to keep his seat, fine. I wish he'd be honest about it. And I wish they'd stop making lies up about why they've done this, that and the other. Well, we always said we were going to do that. I, and then I saw his response to saying, well, you know, in four years' time, there'll be an election. And if I haven't done all the things I said I was going to do, then you can question me. No, it's your role to be questioned. You are our representative in Westminster. You're, you don't lead us. You are our voice. And if you're not listening to the people, you, you're not giving our voice over. So I, I, I don't think it's criticism. I think it's highlighting facts. Sam is an outsider. Yeah, because he's not your MP at all. He's not. He's very much the same thing as your party. It's about yeah. accountability, isn't it? I mean, where do you stand on accountability? Um, is it just at election time? Uh, no, I think it's part, you know, as a, a local councillor, and uh, to anybody who is here who understands uh, what it's like to be a councillor, it's really frustrating when you have got like the Nolan principles of public life drilled into the back of your brain. And then you see somebody who has been elevated to the position of MP, uh, they just throw it out the window. You know, the Nolan principles of public life, by the way, Google them. Um, and it's all about accountability and transparency and being honest. Um, so... I just think one thing we've got to remember and one thing we've got to um, mention when people we're talking to people about this, you know, this is not, um, we, we get it with Deanna, isn't she so nice? Well, yes, she may be, but if she's going to vote for horrible things when it's her job to vote for things to make our country better, then that's what we've got to judge her on and that's what we've got to judge Paul Howell on. And the other, the other side to it is, you know, it, this is not uh, one single person who is rushing off to do votes and trying to answer casework and trying to keep on top of a social media page. 
they have staff for this, staff that appeared pretty well, uh, who should have qualifications and, and experience in, exactly, an experience in um, managing social media channels in a, in a positive way. Um, uh, so it's, it's worrying that either he hasn't engaged those people or he's hired the wrong people or he's not allowing those people to do their job properly. Uh, but that, that's one thing we've got to, because uh, somebody, somebody um, Anne's commented on here that you block people, John, and, and occasionally I block well, people. Well, I'm sick today <laughs> uh, bringing this up. I'm a local councillor, I'm not yes. the MP, and I only blocked people who were abusive personally. Live with it. Absolutely, and I get the same Sorry. thing, and it's just like, I am so honoured that you are, again, elevating me to the same position as Deanna. I wish I had her pay packet. If I had her staff, I would be able to spend more time with engaging with these people. But until then, my address is on the uh, Shildon Town Council website, and I will protect myself from people who are being aggressive. That is the end of the story. Absolutely. Personally insulting. Um, I'm going to, sorry Paul, I'm going to bring it to an end. I am going to make a... It's, go on, it's go, just, go, go, last, it's just one point. key point. There was a, the, the, the Newton News printed an article where Paul Howell defended himself from blocking people and he said it was because he was accused of, um, of um, holding these two council roles and he was going to give them up and he's given his money away to charity, he's given public money away to charity. Which is, you know, I, I don't agree with, I don't think it's his money to spend, you know, he's not doing his job in that council ward but regardless of that he said he was going to put his resignation in in time for uh, an election in May and it is my understanding that he missed the deadline for doing that so in his defense he's either utterly incompetent and doesn't know how to resign from county council and hadn't read the rules around that and hadn't put in his resignation or He's been disingenuous, to use his favourite term. Um, if you want my candid opinion about this, I'm going to make a statement about this. I do not think we can complain about a Tory MP voting with the Tory whip. Labour councillors go to Durham County Council and vote with the Labour group. Um, because people elected them to be Labour councillors. People elected Paul to be a Tory MP. They didn't elect him to go and be some kind of loose cannon kicking off here, there and everywhere. So I can understand that. Um, but I do think, well, and, and, and sort of the other thing is, is that um, it's quite true, what I said earlier. In a way, it's his social media page and it's up to him to decide how he's going to run it. And we may think that's being run in a very unfair and undemocratic and unaccountable way. But uh, at the end of the day, it's his page and he can do what he wants with it. Um, where I have the problem is that um, the, the shutting down of any voices of opposition and, and sort of one of the key, the, the Soviet Union had the most perfect system of democracy ever devised in 1936, but it was a tyranny. And the reason was because it had an opposition, the opposition didn't say anything. They just kept their mouth shut, and if they didn't, they were dealt with. And, and we, I do feel that there's a big thing in Britain at the moment that the opposition 
is blamed for everything. And as soon as they start to do their constitutional role of opposing, everybody's on down the throat, sort of troublemakers. And, and I don't like this politicizing and, and, and sort of labor activists are responsible for this. It's not normal people, labor activists, shut them up. And if we ever end up with the kind of one party state that they want, um, where, where you, we can't criticise, and I, when, you, when, sort of when you're elected to be county councillors, and I know some of you are standing, the, the fact is, is we, at the, we devise the county council, so it has an executive that makes the decisions, and there are scrutiny committees whose job it is to oppose and criticise, to scrutinise, because that's the critical part of democracy. And these people want to destroy our democracy because they will not accept the right of the Labour Party to oppose and sort of and we've talked about this on social media paul as you know and and so we and we i believe we have to oppose and we have to keep opposing whether people like it or not because as soon as we shut up that's the end of our democracy um sort of and and, and people get cross with us because we're in opposition you lost the election you like it's all your fault because these beggars are in power so the, and now, so you've lost the right to oppose. Yeah, we were. We, there was a there was an election. They elected the government to govern, and they elected the opposition to oppose. And so I think we keep on doing it. Um, Paul, for me, that's the end of the show. That was um, mm -hmm. sort of a bit Jerry Springerish right there with the the comments. <laughs> uh, so and so I noticed that you didn't fight each other in the middle of the show. So maybe it was less Jerry, Jerry Springerish than than it might be. Um, <laughs> What we're going no, to be doing, time. I understand, is that we're going to be playing out with no pass around. Yes. And when, when we, has anybody asked to come on and join our chill out zone? I've been finding it difficult to monitor it with all my buttons and everything. So um, if, uh, if, if anyone else, if, if anyone does want to come on and indicates in the next couple of minutes while the song's on, we'll send you the link and, uh, and you can come on. If not, then we will just have a casual goodbye, let's say. Yes. So this is the end yes. of the formal part of the show, people. Um, you're going to go make a cup of coffee and watch um, uh, the news at 10. God bless you. Thank you for watching. See you next week. Bye-bye. It's not really that quick when I do it, John. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to press buttons and things. But, uh, we're getting there. I'm optimised. There you go. Jack Atkinson, I'm not afraid, and I'll live and die by this vow that I made. The only good fascists are dead one, they say, and around the rear we are. When I first left all all them months ago, I told them I'd come not to kill but to cure But for an ambulance driver my shot's pretty sure And around the rear we are There'll be no passerine No passerine No passerine today Fascists have come for freedom We ain't gonna give it away There'll be no pass
told my mother now, mother be strong. But the left way is right and the right way is wrong. And you can stick that on my grip when I'm gone. For real, we are. There'll be no passerun, no passerun, no passerun Maybe cast you armies of darkness, you best do your worst. Cause to win, yeah, well, you gotta get past those first. And around the rear, we are. There'll be no pass around, no pass around, no pass around. Fascists of freedom, we ain't gonna give it away. There'll be no pass around here, no pass around, no pass around, no pass around today. No. We'll keep the red flag flying there.